let me say a few words about the future. There is much that needs to be done to provide more protection for journalists. States should repeal criminal sanctions for laws that target speech, like sedition and blasphemy and defamation. And they should narrow the scope of other laws that can easily be used to silence critical speech. NGOs should push for the release of journalists who are subjected to politically motivated prosecutions, wherever they are and for as long as it takes. Welcome to 10 Minutes on Democracy. That clip was from human rights lawyer Amal Clooney when she addressed the United Nations Correspondents Association in December 2018, warning about the persecution of journalists around the world and here in the United States. I'm Jason Franklin, Senior Advisor at One for Democracy, and today is Tuesday, February 28th. Those warnings about the persecution of journalists are really pressing today. We've seen both the conversations about the role of Fox News in spreading disinformation after the 2020 election, um, which continues to be under investigation right now, and new calls in Florida from Republican legislators who are looking to remake the state's libel and defamation laws, weakening First Amendment protections and opening up journalists to new potential liabilities. It's a bill that's been pushed by Governor DeSantis and is a really concerning trend when we think about broader conversations around how do we improve the media and information ecosystem here in the United States. Other things to pay attention to this week, I mentioned during our last podcast that we were heading into the Wisconsin Supreme Court primary election, which was happening last Tuesday. Well, now we have the results. The primary election actually drove historic turnout levels. 980,000 voters turned out 36% higher than the record set in 2020, when the Democratic presidential primary was also on the ballot. As I talked about over the past few weeks, there were two liberal justices and two conservative justices going into the primary. The two liberal justices won a combined 54% of the vote, and Judge Janet um, was the leader as the uh, liberal justice. She's going to be going up against Justice Dan Kelly in the general election for the in April 4th. Turnout projections have been increasing because of the record uh, turnout in the primary. Field leaders are now projecting like 1.5 to 1.6 million voters are likely to turn out in Wisconsin for the general election for this Wisconsin Supreme Court race. And it's a really critical one because it will determine the balance of power on the Supreme Court in Wisconsin, which is such a critical state for the overall battleground of the presidential election and also the implications for the millions of people living in Wisconsin. We're also seeing it how it's shaping up to become likely the most expensive state Supreme Court race in the country. I've talked about before, but Ad Impact, which tracks ad bookings, has reported that Judge Janet has now booked over $5.4 million for election ads, up from the $1.5 million that was identified last week. The remarkable thing is actually that Justice Dan Kelly, her conservative opponent, hasn't spent or reserved anything on the airwaves yet. And his Fair Courts America, which is bankrolled by the Uline family, conservative allies of Dan Kelly, just booked on Monday the first ads that they've booked, 180,000. So those conservative ads set to start on Wednesday. Of course, the bookings are going to go up. But when you've only got a six-week window from the primary to the general election, every delay in putting ads up and doing the grassroots outreach really has an impact. So one of the things everyone's looking for is like, how are each of the campaigns running? What's the likely turnout looking like? Who's 
doing the ground game better? Who's educating voters about the importance of this election and which voters are getting engaged? This is the type of conversation about how do you increase civic participation and what happens when you get record turnout like we saw last week in the primary election. Something that I think is a hopeful indicator for where the general election for the Wisconsin Supreme Court may be heading. We think about protecting and modernizing elections. There's actually a lot to talk about this week. Most concerning, even if we don't have much information, is that the FBI has briefed the National Association of Secretaries of State and the National Association of State Election Directors that they need to remain hyper vigilant about cyber and physical threats to the 2024 election. While foreign cyber attacks didn't disrupt the 22 election, the FBI has pot- highlighted potential threats from Russia, China, Iran, North Korea, and non-state actors. The fact that they're serious enough to warrant a series of briefings to these national associations is something to be worried about. Also looking at the states, we saw in Minnesota that a rights restoration bill has now passed the Senate and is expected to be signed by Governor Tim Waltz, restoring the rights to voting for those who have previously been incarcerated but are no longer. And on the flip side, in Kansas, there's two bills that have been advanced banning ballot drop boxes and requiring that all mail-in ballots be received by Election Day. However, neither of those bills received a supermajority of support, and likely the Democratic governor, Laura Kelly, is going to veto them as she has vetoed them previous similar election legislation in 2021. So a real important kind of sign around the checks and balances of party control and how it affects the election administration. Last thing to talk about, as we think about how do we strengthen democratic norms and institutions, two things, both tied to disinformation and kind of what happens and what could happen around the results of the 2020 election. First, at a national level um, of particular importance is the word coming out from Georgia that prosecution of former President Trump for election interference may actually be derailed in Georgia because of interviews from the four women of the special grand jury that may have revealed some of their deliberative process. The DA um, in Fulton County has received recommendations from the grand jury and is determining whether to issue indictments based on the guidance from the grand jury, but whether the interviews that the four women engaged in derail the possibility of indictments is a real open question and a sign of how the administration of justice can be undermined by procedural dynamics. The other big procedural kind of revelation is coming out from Arizona, where uh, Attorney General Chris Mays was recently elected in Arizona, has now released a report that former Attorney General Republican Mark Brnovich had sat on. That report that the former Attorney General had confirmed there was no widespread election fraud in 2020, but trying to support Trump's election lies, declined to release that. Now that we've got a Democratic Attorney General been elected, kind of the balance of power in Arizona, which was so contested around in this race around election denialism, seeing actually the data and the information that the AG's office had coming to the public saying, indeed, as we've known, no widespread election fraud in 2020. So lots of back and forth, nothing that has dramatically changed the state of our democracy this week, but a lot of small pieces leading up and positioning and questions of where we're headed, things to be paying attention to. And that's all I've got for this week's review of American Democracy. I look forward to talking with you again next week on 10 Minutes on Democracy. Take care.